First of all, I am, uh, if you didn't see uh, Joan and I, if you're not friends with me on Facebook, um, you didn't see, uh, I'd love to be friends with you on Facebook, but anyway, if you didn't, uh, you missed uh, all of Joan and I and my family's travails going to Australia. Uh, we went uh, kind of a trip of a lifetime. Uh, my son Caleb's studying abroad in Australia, so we decided, you know, I really didn't have any interest in going to Australia, but my son's there, so we're like, we'll go. And uh, we flew on passes. My brother-in-law works for the airline industry, so we got passes. Uh, I would advise you in the future, if you ever actually want to be somewhere, that may not be the best way to fly. Um, it, uh, it did make it significantly cheap. Well, it should have made it significantly cheaper, uh, but it took 52 hours to get to Australia via, we started at JFK, we took a cab to LaGuardia, the flight got canceled at LaGuardia, we flew, then we had to pay out of pocket to go to Atlanta. Then we had to stay overnight in Atlanta. Then we flew to, to uh, um, Los Angeles and had a 10-hour layover in Los Angeles. Long story short, 52 hours. Um, so it was quite an ordeal. But we had an incredible uh, bunch of days down there. A um, couple things. Number one, went to Hillsong, went to the main campus of Hillsong, and then went to the city campus of Hillsong. Can I just tell you, they've got nothing on us, really nothing. <laughs> I just sat there. I just a judgmental jerk going, this isn't any better than what we're doing over at Mendham. I don't even I don't understand what the big deal is. Um, and uh, well, there's an element of truth to that, actually, mostly the judgmental jerk part. Um, and then, um, yeah, I don't remember the other part of what, oh, here's the other part I wanted to tell you. You know what was cool is the whole Facebook Live thing. Um, we got to worship with you guys and be part of church in Australia, uh, which is 14 hours ahead. So we put it on like when we were in bed, so just like you. Now I've fallen asleep in church at Mendham just like you guys do a lot, and so uh, we got to watch that. That was cool to be part of, the, of our family on the other side of the world. So thanks for being the kind of church that lets their pastor do crazy things like fly to Australia. Today we wrap up, it's the last summer sermon, next week is, uh, is Labor Day, we, we wrap up our look, our summer long look at how Jesus told us to pray. Now, I hope that you think it's a pretty cool thing, that you've enjoyed having various kind of respected voices in our community speak into this over the summer. Steve preached a couple times, Tim preached a couple times, uh, David Jansen, one of the kind of the big wigs in our denomination, he came and spoke last week. But I'm going to grab the reins back today to finish this up and, and hopefully give you some new insights into it. Now, let's start this way. We've talked about this, but maybe it's your first time here and you haven't heard where we're coming from. Or maybe if you grew up in a, a certain faith background, where this prayer Jesus taught, the Lord's Prayer, was said over and over and over and over and over. And you know it really well. Maybe it was even used as kind of a form of penance, right? Well, I screwed up, and you know, the answer is I'm going to go say like a hundred of these Our Fathers, and then God will forgive me. Um, well, I mean, I understand where that comes from, but I don't, I'm fairly confident in telling you that that I don't think was the point of Jesus' teaching us this prayer. It wasn't memorize this and repeat this, and if you do it often enough, then maybe you'll be okay. Jesus actually, when he introduces this prayer, he warns against doing that. Here's what he wrote, or here's, here's what Matthew wrote, hearing it from Jesus. When you pray, Jesus says, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, because they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Therefore, you know, to paraphrase, don't do that. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, when you do that, when you just keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over, it reduces prayer to some kind of formulaic religious act of duty. And that is not how Jesus taught you to pray. 
It was meant to be an expressive conversation of intimacy. I see, we, we do that a lot with church stuff. We, we can take things that God meant for relationship and turn it into religion. We do it all the time. We look for rules. We try to change behavior. We make it all about what we do and not who we are, not who he is. We, we look for the, the, these rules when God is really looking for your heart. In fact, that's what we looked at when, when Jesus starts the prayer. He doesn't start when, with, let me teach you how to pray. When you pray, you better make sure you get down on your knees and understand who you're praying to. And you better start by saying, I am unworthy to stand before you, almighty and holy one. Now that's all theologically true. But he actually says, no, you should just start this way. Hey, Dad. Our Father. Jesus gives this prayer. A lot of you won't know this. Jesus gives this prayer on actually two different occasions. It's not only once did he try to teach us how to pray. And, and, and so there's actually two Lord's Prayer. Actually, this is even, even, even the Lord's Prayer. There's actually Jesus' prayer that is actually the Lord's Prayer later in the Scripture. But this came to be known as the Lord's Prayer. But he actually taught this model of prayer in two places. And can I blow your mind? He actually didn't use the same words... And you know why? Because he never expected anybody to write all this down and start repeating this word for word. That was never his point. It wasn't about the words. It was not about Jesus. This did not try to teach us what to pray. What Jesus tried to teach us was how to pray. It was a model for communing with the Father. Now with that in mind and understanding that our repetition must not be in vain, but instead just simply today for the purpose of reflecting on the model, Let's join together one last time in praying it. And so in Regis, it's last summer. Can I, last day of summer, last summer, Sunday, whatever, you know what I mean. Stand up. Out of reverence for the word of God and all of those who have gone before us and lived and given their lives to make sure we had it. And, and let's recite it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Grab a seat. Now, if you have any kind of church background at all, most of us grew up knowing, memorizing, reciting, going to weddings, right? It gets sung at weddings a lot. This version of the Lord's Prayer, this is one of the two ones that Jesus prayed. It's found um, in one of the four Bible books that recount the life of Jesus, the four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is how Matthew records it. Jesus there is just doing some teaching. And, and so he, he's not asked how to pray there. There he actually goes into this prayer because he actually is doing some teaching on the way uh, you present yourself to other people. What he actually starts saying is, look, don't be a phony like the religious elite are here in Jerusalem. You know what they do? He says they, do, they go outside and they pray in public and they think that they're going to impress other people and they think they're going to impress me with their fancy words. Jesus goes, don't be like that. Instead... Here's what he says. He says, go off to a certain place. Specifically, if you, if, in the NIV, he says, go into your room and close the door because what I'm going to teach you has nothing to do with looking good or impressing anybody. Go into your room and close the door. 
Because prayer isn't about religious duty or impressing anybody, let alone God, least alone God. It says Jesus says, go in your room and pray like this. Dad, Dad, I got some things I need to talk to you about. So the second time Jesus tells us to pray, or tells us how to pray, he reveals the model. It's, it's Luke. Luke looked into the things of Jesus and he actually wrote a book. He did all this research on Jesus and his gospel, the good news of Jesus that he tells is based on all his research. And Luke's research says that on another occasion, this is what happened. Here's how he records it. He says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. See, there it is again, a certain place. Not out on the street corners trying to impress anybody, not up in front of the temple. Just Jesus was part of his regular life. He would go off to a certain place. Question one, do you have a certain place? I mean, is there any time created in your life where, you know, I've got to go get along with dad. See, my dad lives around the block from me, and I'm even bad at that. I say to Joan all the time, she'll tell you. I probably tell her once a week, I'm the worst son. I mean, my dad lives five minutes from here. I haven't been to his house in weeks. And so, you know, we're in a bad habit of not spending a lot of time with our dads, not creating certain places. And so, here's, here's, how, uh, here's how Luke records it. One day Jesus is praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. My guess is apparently there was something about what they had seen Jesus doing, the passion, the intensity, more likely, in my opinion, the results, which was catching their attention, and they wanted to be in on the secret. This guy seems to pray, and things happen. Jesus, could you teach us to do that? What's interesting is there's one person I heard this week pointed, pointed out, uh, and this really struck me. I never thought about it this way. Um, note that when Jesus was asked, teach us to pray, Jesus did not respond in the way you would think he probably would. Because if you ask me what Jesus responds to, how should we pray, is there a way, a way to pray, you would think Jesus might say, there's no correct way to pray, don't worry about it. Oh, you just go talk to God and tell him what you need and everything will be good. But that's... Not what he said. On two occasions, he actually says there's a right way to pray, and here it is. Which leads me to my second question of the morning. If there's a right way to pray, what might that also mean? There's a wrong way to pray. And if there's a wrong way to pray, well, then that leads me to my third question of the day as I sat at my dining room table reflecting on this this week. If there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray, is it possible that for most of my life I have not been praying the right way, but praying the wrong way? Which then led me down the path of further self-doubt. Um, and I started to think, is it possible that since there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray, and maybe it's a 50-50 shot that I'm praying the wrong way, is it possible that since I've been praying the wrong way my whole life, maybe that's why I'm not seeing as much response and fruit in my prayer as I ought to, because it turns out I've been praying the wrong way the whole time. Hmm. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, because there's a right way to pray. When you pray, okay, here it comes. Now, here comes the Lord's Prayer. And you know it. You should be able to recite it. And so, get ready. Thinking caps on. Here comes the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. What? I mean, that's not it. Right? 
That's not the Lord's Prayer. Now, if I'm there, I'd raise my hand. Excuse me, Jesus. You appear to have missed a couple of words. Um, I'm no, let me help you out with this. Uh, there's a couple things. What happened to our Father who art in heaven? Remember that whole thing about deliver us from evil? I don't see that in here, Jesus. Kingdom, power, glory, nothing about Jesus. Is this like the Cliff's Note version of the prayer? Is this just the highlights? Is this the, the plane is going down, there's not enough time left, just get this out, hope everything will turn out all right? Is that what that is? And the answer is, no. Because Jesus was never trying to teach you what to pray. He was trying to teach you how to pray, and the words didn't matter all that much. It was the form and the model that he was trying to teach us. So here's the model. Model's this. First, get yourself off to a certain place. I mean, go find a place. You know, I mean, if, if I'm honest, my place is not all that good. I mean, I need to get better at finding a certain place. A lot of times, you know, I mean, you know where your place is a lot of times? I mean, I could guess your place. You know, your place is, I'm sitting in traffic, I'm Route 80, it's dead stopped. God, would you please help this traffic to move? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going, it's bed, I'm going to bed. Baby won't stop crying. God, would you please? Help that baby stop crying. That's my place, right? And, 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 and Jesus seems to be saying, no, 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 that's not. Like, go to a certain place. Get to a place. Uh, you're going to have to put some time into this. And when you get there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with dad, father. Now, once you do that, though, here's the model, okay? Stick with me now. Here's the model. You, you come and you understand, I, I can approach you like dad. But then immediately, Jesus says, you have to recognize the honor it is to call him dad. Because now you need to take time. And I don't know how long it would be, but you need to take some time to reflect on the father's greatness, holiness, vastness, weightiness, significance, transcendence, his power, his goodness, his kindness. I mean, we just go, hallowed be your name. I don't even know what that means, but let me chuck it out there. Right? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand he's your dad, but then you need to spend a little time understanding who you're talking to. How big, vast, huge he is. How great and holy he is. Now, I don't know how you need to do that. But you need to do that. Because otherwise, you're not, you're not praying. I'm telling you, listen, it's not me that said there's wrong ways to pray. It appears to be Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, you're going to need to get yourself into a place where you start to understand how big God is to get this right. The model of prayer is, whatever you got to do, wherever you got to go, whatever you're going to stare at, look at, dwell on, meditate on, you got to get to the place where you start to go, holy smokes, like, you're gigantic. You're, you're other than. You're... I mean, I, maybe, maybe you just need to watch a, a YouTube on creation and the stars and the solar system and the skies. Maybe you just need to, to reflect for a while on how intricately, fearfully, and wonderfully you're made. Maybe you need to, to think about the power of God, how powerful God must be. Like We fear nuclear weapons, and nuclear weapons is just nothing in the hands of God. Like, he made that. Like how big and awesome and powerful you are. Maybe you take a picture of the cosmos. Maybe you pour over some psalms in your certain place. Before you move on, Dad, I need to dwell on you for a minute. I need to get my mind around how big you are. We were just in Australia. We took, had the opportunity to take this boat out to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, I'm telling you, that is just, I'm swimming around. You can't believe, do you know what's going on down there? 
two-thirds of the world is under, underwater, right? And you're swimming around in this Great Barrier Reef. You can't fathom what God is making down there. A couple quick stories. The first is the one, you know, they get you. Look, I'm a beach guy. I prefer the beach to snorkeling or anything like that. I prefer it to most things, let alone getting out with wildlife that I can't control. And the guy said, listen, uh, it's possible you might see a shark, but don't worry, the only sharks around here are reef sharks, and they're just going to be lying on the bottom. You don't have anything to worry about. Of course, sure enough, Pastor John, he jumps off the boat. He's swimming around. I look to my right, and there's Jaws, right, swimming around right next to me, right? And so I immediately pop up and go, shark! Uh, and I see Caroline, my 16-year-old, she pops up because she was right by me. I saw a shark! And so now we're looking for Caleb, and he's my 20-year-old, and he's a bit of a, a nut. He's watching in Australia right now, and this is why he's a nut. He's chasing after the shark with his GoPro to get good video of the shark. So, you know, anyway, you can't believe what's going on down there. There are things that God has created down there. There are fish floating around down there that I cannot understand how there is not a plug attached to this fish. It is glowing. It is like radioactively glowing. And then when he turns, it's like he turns a different color. And then there's canyons. Like, one minute you can stand up. You're not supposed to. I'm not that good a swimmer. So you're not supposed to stand up on the Great Barrier Reef, but every once in a while I get a little tired, I'd stand up. And uh, right, you could fall off the cliff of the Great Barrier Reef because right next to it, it goes down as far as you can see. It's just unbelievable. And so all I got to do is go in my, my room right now, close the door and go, jeez, like you made that? Who could do that? You know the Great Barrier Reef is actually a living organism? It's the biggest living thing in the world. You can see it from space. And he did that. And when you start, to, you start to think about that, you start to go, hmm, you know, in light of all this, kind of amazing that you let me call you dad. Now, see, in this model that Jesus is laying out, it's not the words that are important, but the order is. Jesus says you've got to get this understanding of who he is, how hallowed, how holy he is. And once you do, then when you get that part of the prayer right, it's the pr prayer itself becomes like a river flowing out naturally of that ocean of understanding. Because when you understand how big, vast, huge, weighty, mighty, mighty and powerful he is, it's a little easier, although it's never easy, but it's a little easier to say, thy will be done. Before I start to ask for my stuff, to recognize, you know what? God, in light of that, I have some things I'd like to ask you about, but in light of what I've just spent some time dwelling on, it's probably kind of silly for me to be asking for what I want, maybe in light of who you are and what, I, what I've come to understand. I should probably start asking you for what it is you'd like, because that actually, I mean, now, you know, maybe, honestly, I've gotten my point to myself to the place here, Lord, in this time with you and understanding how big you are, that I'm starting to believe that you might be trustworthy, you might know what you're doing, and maybe I should start asking you for your agenda. Maybe I should start to submit what I want to what you want instead of just asking for my stuff, building my kingdom. Uh, maybe I should start to understand that, you know what, I was going to pray about my kids, but you love my kids. Maybe I should pray your agenda for my kids instead of mine. Maybe I should pray your agenda for my finances, my job, my wife, instead of mine. Maybe I should start praying that your kingdom would come and, instead of mine. Now, this is the tough part, because if you're like me, prayer is often, you know, dear God, 
for me usually, I said to say, Father, it's kind of my, Father, I thank you, you're so good to me, I love you, I love you, I love you, and now here's all the things I need you to do for me really bad. Um, and things like, you know, and that's not like bad things, health and money. I mean, you know, different times in my life, girls, jobs. And see, I think this is because when you're a kid growing up, you're kind of taught, you're modeled, uh, maybe by your mom and dad, maybe by, maybe by your church, that the primary purpose of prayer, the reason you pray is to get God to do what you want him to do. I mean, could be honest, that's kind of what you've been told about, we've been told about prayer. You pray because you ask God to do what you want him to do. But Jesus seems to indicate that, that the primary purpose of prayer is actually something completely different. In fact, you could check this out. I never thought of it this way before, but right before he gives the model for prayer, right before he gives the model for prayer in Matthew, he says this, when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. They think you're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Why? Why don't you have to keep trying to impress people? Why don't you have to keep asking? Why? Because your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Now pray like this. To which I would say my own understanding of prayer would be, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to go off in my prayer closet, my room, close the door, and he already knows what it is that I need, then what am I going to do in there? Right? Because most of the time, my whole life, most of my prayers have been based on, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, and now here's what I need. And so if I don't need to tell him, because he already knows, what the heck am I doing in here? To which Jesus answers, that's why you don't pray that way, you pray this way, let me show you. Here's the deal, ultimately what, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that prayer is not about trying to bend the will of God to conform to our will, to get him to do what we want him to do, but there is something about this model that Jesus is teaching us that will move our hearts more into alignment with his and what he's doing. Something that will start to give us a belief and a trust in him more than we trust us. Where we get to the point of what he, what he wants for us is more important to us than what we want. Where we actually start to go, oh, you know what? You really seem to know what you're doing and I'm just going to ask, Lord, I'm just going to pray. I mean, I'm just going to pray that I, I got some things I want to talk to you about. I have some things I need. I got some issues. I'm, I'm worried about this. But Lord, at the end of the day, I, before, I, before I ask you for my stuff, I got to understand it's really just, I mean, I, you're, you got to win because you know more. You love me more than I love myself. Now, that's not easy. It's not easy to pray your kingdom come, not mine. It's easy in theory it's easy in theory to say your way is not mine, your will not mine. Do you know who knows more than anybody else that it's not easy? A certain figure, historical figure by the name of Jesus Christ. If you remember the, the prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he, the night he was going to be arrested, crucified, die on the cross, he gets out into the, into the, 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 the garden and he starts praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet... Not my will, but your will be done. You know what that makes, Jesus? Not a hypocrite. Because even when his humanity was crying out, dear God, no. He goes, I need to bend my will to yours. 
and it's gonna take a mighty night-long struggle so hard that I'm gonna be popping some capillaries and bleeding out my eyes, but whatever it is, God, I need to bend my will towards yours. I'm gonna pray that you could find another way. I'm gonna pray that there's another way. But before that, my ultimate goal is your will. And then, and only then, once Jesus seems to be saying, once we get our hearts and our minds are conformed to his greatness and holiness, once we trust him, once we've given up our kingdom agenda and we want his, then Jesus says, look, of course I want you to talk. God wants to hear what you want. He knows already, though. I mean, give us this day our daily bread. Do you think God realizes that you need bread daily? Of course he does. And so what is the point here? I think what the point is that Jesus is actually saying, you know, what you need to do is you need to start to acknowledge that everything you have comes from him. Like, look, Lord, I tend to think that, you know, everything I have comes from me. I work hard, I'm smart, I went to school, you know, charming, good looking. All this stuff comes from me. (laughs) And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. After you understand how great he is, and after you understand how much his kingdom is better than yours, then you're going to be in a place to start going, you know, maybe I better start realizing that everything I actually have comes from you. My daily bread is not from me, it's from you. In one teaching I looked at, the, 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 the writer put it this way. He said this, actually, the next three parts of this prayer are simply acknowledging dependence on God. First, for daily bread, for our needs. Second, for forgiveness of our sins. God, I've got issues, and I can't, I can't be good enough. I can't earn my way to you. I'm dependent on you for forgiveness. I'm not dependent on being good. This is us remembering the grace of God. And then being dependent on Jesus um, uh, for protection. God, I'm going to need you to keep me from evil. I'm going to need you to protect my family. We have an enemy, Lord. And the reality is I had a kid off at college. I had one in Australia. I got one in New York City. God, I can't protect these kids anymore. I guess I'm going to have to rely on you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. That's the end. Now again, you might go, well, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you forgot the ending again. I mean, I went to church today, Jesus. They gave me this little card. You guys get your cards? For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Jesus, you didn't seem to put that on the end of the prayer again. I'm glad I'm here to keep correcting you. You keep messing up your own prayer. But here's the deal. If you had your Bible with you today and some... You know, this is the downside sometimes of putting the verses up. But if you had your Bibles here today, I would encourage you to open it to this prayer in Matthew. And you know what you would see? That's not there. It's not in Luke, and it's not in Matthew. Do you guys know that? But but I went to church, and they sang it at my wedding. Um, What happened there is it's called the doxology of the prayer. It's not even Luke's version at all. And, and in the earliest ma- manuscripts of Matthew, it wasn't there either. When it was originally put into the King James Version, and when reformers went to, to, to translate the King James Version, they found earlier manuscripts, and they realized in the earlier manuscripts, that part wasn't even there. So how did it get there? Scholars don't really know how it got there, but here's what my guess is. I think a couple of things could have happened. The first could have been, I mean, if you look at Luke's prayer, right? Like, Luke's prayer just ends... Uh, Lord, teach, uh, lead us not into temptation. That's it. I mean, there's not even an amen. That's a really crummy way to end a prayer, wouldn't you think? So you'd think at some point somebody goes, well, we've got to dress that up a little bit on Jesus. That's never going to sell. Clean that up. 
And, I, you know, we run into problems when we try to clean up Jesus' words a lot of times and make them feel a little bit better to us. But I don't really actually think that's the reason. I really think what happened is, in the Old Testament book of Chronicles, here's what it says in Chronicles. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. And so in a sense, I think what the writer said is, you know what, this reminds me of that verse in Chronicles, and this is going to sum up the whole prayer, and we're going to put it here. Now, you might be thinking, well, if it wasn't said by Jesus, then why are you giving me this little card to, to use all week? And I guess it's because what I would say is that it's both biblical, as I just showed you, and if you were going to sum up a summer's worth of reading and studying and, 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 and reciting in one sentence, in one card, this would be it. This is the key to the Lord's Prayer. The, pr the prayer from 1 Chronicles sums up the point, the most important issue to get out of the model. You have all the power, God. Therefore, your glory and your kingdom is what I need, what I need to want, what I need to want more than my own wants, and it's what I need to pray for. I need to get my heart there. Because here's the deal. We're going to wrap this up this morning. This is it. And I want you guys to walk away from this summer with two thoughts on the Lord's Prayer. Maybe three. The first one I've gone over week after week. It was not meant for you just to just keep reciting it, reciting it, reciting it, reciting it, reciting it. That wasn't the point. And in fact, if you keep doing it that way, I fear you're going to miss the point. I fear you're going to fall into religion and you're not going to know dad. Second is this. If there, there's a couple of places in the Bible where Jesus or the writer, and in one case the writer was Jesus' brother's James, understands that something that you and I understand if we've prayed over time. And it's this, and we, we, we got to be honest, okay? Please approach the Bible being honest. We got to be honest. Church is a good place to be honest. Here it is. Often I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and you know what happens? Nothing. How many of you have prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and not received what you wanted? Raise your hand. Those of you that did not raise your hand, I would like to pray with you right after service today. <laughs> Several things I need you to pray for for me. But I think this is most of our experiences, right? We pray and pray and pray, and we're not seeming to move the hand of God. Well, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. The first is that we might be praying the wrong way. You know, when you're a pastor, you go on vacation. It's fun to go on vacation, but you come home to a whole boatload of bad emails. Uh, most of the time, when things are going great in somebody's life, they don't say, this is so wonderful, let me email Pastor John. Um, I'd encourage you, I would love that to happen more. Like, I can't wait to share this with my pastor. But what ha tends to happen is um, hard things happen in people's lives, and then they, they, they would like me to be part of that, and I want to be part of that, and so I often come home. I mean, I think three or four of you lost uh, a mom or dad while I was gone. Uh, we have a friend, a long-time uh, person that's come to mend him, Lois Drysdale, who's kind of clinging to life in Morristown Memorial, and you come home, and, and I know you've been praying for Lois. I know you prayed for your mom and dad, but your mom and dad died. I mean, I know you prayed for the job, but you, it went to someone else. I know you prayed for the guy, he still isn't called. I know you prayed for the girl and you're still single. I know you prayed, remember how you prayed for that grade? How many of you have ever prayed for a grade in school? How many of you ever actually studied real hard and then prayed for a grade? Because a lot of times this has to do with us, right? Why these prayers don't get answered. I mean, we didn't study for the, I didn't study for the test, I just prayed. 
this prayer thing stinks. It doesn't really work. Now here's what, here's what James, who probably watched his brother Jesus pray a lot, here's what he come, came to understand about prayer. Here's what he wrote. He says, what causes fight and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle and rage within you? You desire, you desire, but you don't have it. So you kill and you covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Now, first you might go, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, what James is asking is, why are you fighting all the time? But it's at its heart, what he's pointing out is what causes these fights is your desire to build your kingdom. I'm building my kingdom. I'm building my kingdom. I'm building my kingdom. Now, here's what I've come to learn. If I'm building my kingdom, building my kingdom, building my kingdom, and I marry somebody that's building their kingdom, building their kingdom, building their kingdom, guess what is not going to go well? See, I married this beautiful girl to stay beautiful, young, cook my dinner, have my kids, do my laundry. I'm building my kingdom, baby. Right? Don't. <laughs> we can't have your kingdom messing with my kingdom. Don't you get this? And so James is going, no, 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 here's the problem. See, what's causing these fights is you're trying to build your kingdom. What does that have to prayer, do with prayer? Because the next sentence, James goes, you don't have because you don't ask God. One of the reasons you have is you don't ask. You rely on yourself. I'm going to get it, get it, get it. I'm going to take it, take it, take it. I'm going to work harder, be harder, work smarter, be smarter. I'm going to, you know, and then, you know, what causes these fights? I'm going to get it myself, get it myself. And if you get it, I got to get it from you. And he goes on, he goes, you don't have it, you don't have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your guilty pleasures. When you ask, you don't ask with the right motive. You ask out of a desire for your will first, my will, my kingdom. God, I'm going to build my kingdom first. I need you to help me build my kingdom. And this is how I usually pray, right? If I'm just honest. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. And here's what I need. I think James is saying, look, I watched my brother do this, and most of the time he spent was about talking to his dad about how great his dad was, how wonderful, powerful he was, hallowing his name, understanding his might and his holiness. And then maybe once, maybe once you understood that like Jesus did, maybe it might move you to ask for his will and his kingdom in your life first. Then your heart might be changed. Then maybe your pleasures might change. And when our prayers, guys, go from our wills and building our kingdoms to God's will and God's kingdom. Can I tell you, that's when you begin to unlock the power and the mystery of prayer. That's when it begins to all make sense because it was never meant for you to just bring a laundry list of things to God. It was meant to change you, to align you, to bend you to the will of God. So you begin to partner with God in what he's doing in your life because he knows more than you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And that's hard. John put it this way. He got so used to moving his heart into alignment with God, he put so much time into hollowing and praying for the kingdom and submitting to God's will. He said this, you've heard it. John wrote, this is the confidence, the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything... According to his will, he'll hear us, and we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of him. And that's why I gave you that card this morning. Spending time in hallowing our God, aligning our hearts, praying for his kingdom. Jesus did not walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and walk out 30 seconds later. It took a while to bend the Son of God's will to the Father's. It's going to take at least that long to bend yours. 
hollow, a line, and watch what God does in your life. This is the model of prayer. I'm telling you, you can unlock incredible peace and power in your life if you will try this. And lastly, Jesus understands that this is our common experience too, that often we pray and we don't just, it's not like we just get what we want. Now, it does happen every once in a while, right? Every once in a while, God moves in incredible ways. I've shared some stories about this over, over the years here at Mendham. One of my crazy stories about prayer has to do with my daughter, Caroline, who was born with this hernia that was sticking out of her stomach. And she was born. They told us in the first three days, she's going to have to have surgery. You're going to have to bring her back. But we, it's not an emergency. We can wait for a year. But in a year, she has to have it. Bring her back in a year. Things still there. In the emergency, Joan will tell you, it's not a lie. In the emergency room, the guy goes, the doctor's there. He goes, yep, it's here. It's still here. We'll schedule the surgery for tonight or tomorrow. But this is a teaching hospital. Let me bring in all of the, the students, the interns, so they can see, because this is just textbook. He kept saying, this is a textbook one. Goes out. I literally went off to a certain place, which was in the corner. And I just stood there, and Joan was with the baby, and I was just going, God, I know this is not much to ask for. I know this is not serious or life-threatening, but God, if there is any way that you could possibly heal this so that she doesn't have to have surgery, Lord, I'm just, I'm just coming in and asking. I know it's not serious, but you say that you, know, you care about the, the, hair, the hair on my head, and I'm just going to ask you. Guy comes back in the room, brings all the kids over. They surround Caroline. He goes, it's gone. Just gone. Couldn't find it. Weirdest thing ever, Right? I'm a pastor, and it's still hard to believe, right? Like, I'm like, like when he said it's gone, I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, he, he's like, yeah. He goes, I don't really get it. And I, I felt the compulsion to say, like, I got to be honest with you. I was just praying like crazy over here, and I think it's, you know. And so he does work that way, but often, okay, often, most of the time he doesn't. And Jesus wants you to know that. Right after Jesus taught how to pray, right after the next sentence, and he actually says, he's referring to the prayer story, this is what he said. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to send before him. Okay, that's an old religious story. Let's enter the story. You're in bed at your house. You've got three kids that you just bathed and put to bed. You're trying to have a romantic evening with your spouse and it's midnight. The guy across the street comes and bangs on the door and says, hey, I'm having a party with all my friends over here, but another friend rolled into town, and it turns out I don't have enough frozen pizza. Can I get one? <laughs> to which most of you are going to respond, something I can't say in church, right? Get out. Are you nuts? Get out of here. Now, if you understand Middle Eastern houses, this makes a lot more sense because there was candles and all the family slept in one room and usually the parents had to line the kids up, get them to bed. They were, and so in order to get up, you'd have to step over everybody. You'd have to go. Sometimes women were in another room. You'd have to go wake the women up. They'd wake the kids up. And so the guy is going, no, don't trouble me. The door is shut. My children are, are with me in bed. I cannot rise to give it to you. And then Jesus says this, really something I don't like. Whenever Jesus says something you don't like, that's really when you should spend some time on it. Jesus says this, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, if I'm honest, I don't like this story. It's not a real warm fuzzy. Isn't God wonderful? In fact, there's another story just like it where, where, where there's a parable about an unrighteous judge and a woman that just keeps coming, 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 coming. And finally, the unrighteous judge goes, fine. 
I mean, we read it, and at first blush, it just seems like if you just keep pestering God, bothering God, disturbing God, if you can become a royal pain in his heavenly butt, you could get what you want. Right? That seems to be what it says. Drive him nuts, and maybe he'll give in. So, we vacation. I'd like to say, we vacation in Australia all the time. We usually just go to the beach. And uh, so we go to the beach, we go for a week, like almost all of you guys. And so when we used to go to the beach, when the kids were older, they wanted to hang out. Now they don't want to hang out with us at all. But when they were a little older, they'd want to go to the boardwalk. You ever go to the boardwalk when you're on a beach vacation? It's like a level of Dante's hell at some level or another when you've gone with four, we've gone four young kids after you've been in the sun all day, out at a restaurant, and then they want to go. So Joan and I would do the same thing. Not tonight, maybe tomorrow. Not tonight, maybe tomorrow. Not tonight, maybe tomorrow. Not tonight, maybe tomorrow. And around Wednesday, you start going, oh, dear God, there's not many of these left, right? And so we'd get to the end, and they'd ask every night, can we go to the boardwalk tonight? 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 No, 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 maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Thursday night would roll around. Do you know what I did every Thursday night, and almost have to this day for the last 25 years? Do you know what I do every Thursday night? I go to the boardwalk. Now, let me ask you a question. Do I like going to the boardwalk? No. Do you know why I go to the boardwalk? Because I love my kids. And my kids kept asking me. And I loved them enough that I did it. Even though I didn't really want to do it, it wasn't really what I was going to do, but I loved them enough that I did it. Could it turn out what Jesus is trying to teach you is that your father loves you so much that if you're persistent enough because of his love for you, he might do what you're asking him to do anyway. So as the band comes up, I want you to think about this. Is it possible that there is something that Jesus is trying to teach us about this prayer that in the constant focus on hollowing the name of God first, realigning my will with his, maybe after doing this over and over and over and over and over and over, day after day, it would unleash something in me. Maybe something in my heart would be changed. I tell people all the time, well, have you prayed about it? I prayed about it. Really? Did you pray about it? Oh, no, I prayed about it. I mean, did you pray about it with persistence? Oh, I prayed about it persistently. Well, like, for how long? Uh, months. Like, did you go to a place and you, like, you just put the time in and you're, you hollowed God and you got yourself aligned with his will? Well, you know, you know what we do with prayer? It's like when you go to the gym. Go to the gym. Got to get back in shape. January 2nd, pound out a quick set of uh, curls here. Look in the mirror. I don't really say this doesn't work. Right? Like, nothing's happening here. I don't really get it. And see, that's what we do with prayer. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 there is something to prayer with persistence. You know why, guys? Because if you spend enough time hollowing the name of God, understanding how good and great and loving and holy he is, if you spend enough time praying for his kingdom to come in your life, you know what begins to change? You do. And maybe you start to understand what you're praying for really isn't what you need or want anyway. That's why Jesus says, I say to you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find it. Knock, it'll be opened. And so here's the last question for the whole series. I heard somebody ask it this week. Big question. Is there anything in your life that you care this much about that you would be willing to ask and ask and ask and ask? 
hallow the name of God, hallow the name of God, realign my will, your will, your will, not my will, my will, but Lord, this, can I ask you about this? Can I bring my son before you, my marriage, my job, my career, my health? Lord, can I bring this? Can I bring this? I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep aligning myself with your will. I'm going to keep understanding how big and holy you are and how great you are and how much you love me. You love me more than I love me, but there's this thing, Lord. What in your life is important enough for you to do that? That's the model of this prayer. God, I'm just going to keep coming. I'm just going to keep knocking, asking, seeking. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up on my kid, my wife, my bad diagnosis, my career. I'm going to keep asking and seeking and knocking until you either change my will. Because, God, I'm going to start there. I'm going to line there. Or until I see you move. I'm serious. What is it? We're in September. Here's what I challenge you to do. Care about something enough. Love something enough that you just say today, you know, from now until Christmas, I am going to pray every day. I'm going to get some time. I'm going to go to a place. I'm going to align myself. I'm going to understand how great he is. I'm going to spend the time to get my will under his, and I'm going to ask for this, and here's what I promise you. I can't promise you that he's going to say yes, but I can promise you he's going to answer, your do answer the door, and I can't promise you that there'll be change. Father, your will be done. Not just on earth as in heaven, but in our hearts. In Jesus' name.